Hey everyone, this is Tolly. Just wanted to say that Nava and I recorded this episode right at the beginning of the shelter-in-place order in the U.S., but before the global uprisings for Black Lives. So you'll notice we don't talk about that in this episode. We did listen to this and still think it's relevant, so we're releasing it now. Thanks so much. Do you feel ready to talk about how you changed your mind about Zionism? Yeah, it's just like probably a quick chat, right, Tali? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Diaspora Podcast. I'm Tali Daniel. I'm a political educator with Jewish Voice for Peace, living in Oakland. I'm Nava Echalom. I'm a poet and educator in Philadelphia. Nava, during this podcast season, we've looked into how Jewishness and Zionism get tangled up together, and we've shared some of Zionism's history and the impact Zionism has had on Palestinians. I think we've been pretty clear, Tali. Zionism is an ideology that's done harm to Palestinians, intense and ongoing harm. And the state of Israel has killed and stolen from and exiled and restricted Palestinians, and it's doing all those things right now. Listening to the history, it's kind of impossible not to see it. But the thing is, you and I didn't always see it. And a lot of Jewish people who now support the liberation of Palestine didn't always see it. And there are many reasons. I think the biggest one is... For Jewish people, Zionism tells a story about belonging, about who we belong to, and about home. Yeah, Tali, a really powerful story. So we both had to unlearn things to get to where we are now, and we wanted to share more about ourselves, how we changed our minds. What Zionism used to mean to us, and what it means now. This might sound familiar to you, Or maybe this story will explain why anyone you know ever believed in this. Or maybe it'll just be interesting anthropology. Yeah. So this episode is a chat the two of us had a few weeks ago, where we got to interview each other. Okay, Tali, when you were growing up, did you know you were a Zionist? Were you like, I'm a Zionist? Or no. Was it- well, no. I grew up in, in the United States in an Israeli family. So like, I thought of myself as Israeli living in the United States. And at the time, I didn't think of myself as like part of a Zionist movement or part of a like, yeah, I didn't think it, that was not the identity that really spoke to me. And a lot of things were subsumed under Israeli, right? So the fact that I spoke Hebrew and the fact that I had Israeli family and then I would go to Israel every year was all part of being Israeli. But also the fact that my family's from Iraq was like kind of also subsumed under being Israeli. Um, and the what I, I think at the time, like the identity that I was told I was and given was Sephardic, that like my Jewish customs were different than other people's mm-hmm. was also a part of being Israeli. So it was just like, that was the category of thing. So no, I didn't, I didn't really know I was a Zionist. Do you remember a moment of being like, Oh, there's something I don't know here. Or like, yes. It's extremely embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it was like literally my first day of college and I was okay. So tiny bit of background is that at that point I had already kind of figured out 
some stuff about the United States, that like the United States was racist and that the history of like how the United States got founded was one of like genocide and colonialism. So I, I had that knowledge already. And then I went to college and my first day of college, I had, saw a sticker on a bus stop that said free Palestine. And I, my, my thought was from what? Like it did, there was no, I had no context for understanding what that meant. Wow. Cause, you know, like, cause I didn't know things. I mean, I don't mean it to be self-deprecating. Like I just genuinely did not know. Like it wasn't, I wasn't, I just did not know. And so I kind of like put that in the corner of my brain being like, that's confusing. I don't know what that's about. Like why would, not only why, what pre-Palestine from what, but also like, why would someone make a sticker about it and then feel the need to put the sticker on a, on a bus stop? Like all of that felt deeply confusing to me. And then the rest of it, there wasn't like a clear moment. It was more of a like, I want to know what this is about. I went to UC Santa Cruz. I also went to college four days after 9-11. So it was like a moment in time. <laughs> so a lot of the professors were trying to explain like, not just where Afghanistan was and who the Taliban was and why like going to war in Afghanistan was not actually a thing about 9-11, but a thing about an extended colonialism, right? That for them also meant talking about Palestine and talking about feminist struggles in, in, in anti-imperial movements. And yeah. did you have like, emotional reactions to being in class and talking about this like did you feel oh. your body or did you oh totally I think the the longer more deeper and more emotional process was around being an Iraqi person when there was a war against Iraq a couple of years after the war on Afghanistan which both of which are still ongoing that really was the moment that like I had a more emotional reaction and like understanding that like, oh, this is all an anti-Arab colonial project, like all of it. Uh, and that, that was really, um, that, was, that was much, that was bigger, that was deeper and bigger, I think, as a, as a realization. And learning more about Iraqi history and Iraqi Jewish history. So, I mean, I, there was a while where like literally every class was assigning Ella Shohat's Zionism from the standpoint of its Jewish victims. Yeah. Um, and so like the first time I read it, I was like, this is incredible and mind blowing. And then the like fifth time I read it, I was like, is there any other <laughs> Iraqi Jewish writing that I could get into? Um, yeah. Am I reading this for the rest of my life? It was both like a very fast and simple process where I like didn't know anything and then I knew things and I was like, oh, I thought something was wrong. It was this and it's actually this whole other way. Now that's my new reality. And then there was a much deeper process around like how, what that meant for me as a person and what my identity was and how I wanted to relate to the world and, and how I wanted to like, who I wanted to have affinity with, I guess. Mm. Did but. you find people who felt like fellow travelers as you were going through first the step of like reconfiguring your understanding of the politics, but also I feel like especially I wonder, did you find fellow travelers around thinking about your identity and Arabness and how that had become invisibilized? I, yes and no. Like the, I definitely found fellow travelers around the question of like, 
what Israel was doing. I mean, 2001, 2002, 2003 is also the second intifada, which we haven't gotten into in the podcast, but that was also a big moment. And Students for Justice in Palestine also just started that year. And it started at Berkeley, which was very close to Santa Cruz. And there was a lot of like talk about forming an, an SJP at Santa Cruz. And there were all these Jewish people who were having like big complicated feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but who were progressive and like wanted to be down, but just like had a bunch of big complicated feelings about it. So me and my friend Sandy started a group called Confused Jews. <laughs> so that Jewish people could have all their feelings with each other instead of oh, so taking sweet. up a bunch of space in potential SJP meetings <laughs> with all of our feelings. I have, I'm not confused about Palestine, but I would still really join a group called Confused Jews. <laughs> I mean, there's so many confusing things in the world, you know? Yeah, so that was, and it was like, it's so interesting to reflect on on this part of my life because I think you're, I was in my early 20s. I was like unlearning a lot and relearning things. And it like kind of all got, all of that energy kind of got really focused on, on an academic trajectory. Like I wanted to understand things, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was how, where I like put all of those feelings and questions and thoughts. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, I'll ask you questions. Okay. Did something take the place of Zionism for you? It's a great question. I mean, for a long time, it was feminism. I know that's like a very nerdy answer, but it did, for a long time, I did feel strongly about like my community and political like affinities and the the people I felt most at home with were feminists and other, yeah, were feminists and other women. And at the same time, like identity-based political communities always fall into a kind of weird, complex messiness around like who gets to be inside and who doesn't. And, um, and feminism has taken on that question in various ways, some of which I agree with and some of which are really horrible and harmful. So I, I think that I'm currently like curious about how to build a community that is like, that has politics that I agree with, but doesn't necessarily rely on identity. Mm. And it's a really weird and confusing and messy question that I haven't fully answered. You know, I think that there is a, I, a friend of mine told me this the other day that I'm sure is a, has a much longer movement history that um, hope is a discipline that like, that it isn't like you have to have hope for a better and different future, even when really horrible, terrible things happen that feel devastating and like the world is ending because you don't really have a choice and you have to like build that discipline in yourself to see the way out and to see the hope. So I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of this question and in terms of when people ask about like the future of Israel and Palestine or Israel and the United States, like those are, that's the thing I return to a lot. Mm. That's very lovely. Do I get to ask you questions now? Okay. Well, Nava, one thing I learned through our friendship is that there is and was a like Zionist movement that you 
that not only existed that was like actively working to recruit people, but that you were a part of as a young person. So I like how you're sort of asking that as if we're like on a like talk show and it's like <laughs> cool about me when actually it's like not something cool about me. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. So I guess I, I mean I think what my my real question is how did you change your mind about Zionism? But I think my first question is what was Zionism to you as a young person before you changed your mind? Oh, that's such, okay, that's a really good question. I, unlike you, I grew up with like very explicit talk about Zionism and it came from a bunch of different places on both sides of my family of origin. My family had settled in Palestine. On, on one side, it was in the early 19th century. And on the other side, it was slightly later in the 19th century. So wild variation. And, and then parts of the family had come here and I was born here in the States. I kind of thought I would obviously live there at some point. There was a house that my great, great, great uncle had built that was like the house that you went to when you went to Jerusalem and it was where the whole family would be. And like I have an aunt and a bunch of cousins and stuff who are all settlers on the West Bank. And and I knew that I didn't like the part of religious Zionism that was about settling on the West Bank and in Gaza. And because I grew up in a labor Zionist youth movement. And for me, I thought I was like part of a revolutionary movement. We were bringing about socialism in the world. And um, the best way to do it was um, to, to support a socialist state in Palestine. And um, so I think for me, what I really, like, uh, I talked very explicitly about Zionism and what it meant to me was revolution, hmm. like a new, more just global regime. So once everyone saw how awesome and socialist <laughs> and amazing labor Zionism's future is, like they would follow, they would follow the, the socialist. We were feeding a global vision of socialism. Right. So, so like, interesting. Okay. So I think for me, the thing that felt really threatening about changing my mind about Zionism was that I had grown up already thinking of myself as oppositional and left in relationship to Zionism because we were progressive and like I knew what right-wing Zionism looked like and I was like no we talk about Palestinians all the time we're all very pro-Oslo like my version of Zionism my narrative was the reason I'm a Zionist is because I want Israel to be the best version of itself that it can be and it should be more just and that's my love for it leads me to try to make it more just. And that's what Zionism is to me. So the idea of then like stepping away from the whole project and seeing it all as violent fucked me up emotionally in a pretty intense way because I was like, wait, right. it's not like I wasn't thinking about Palestinians and it's not like I wasn't thinking about justice and it's not like I wasn't thinking about power. I just was missing this really key piece where the whole thing is settler colonialism. Um, and that fucked me up pretty bad. I cried for about a year. Yeah. Do you, did you have a moment? Was there like a moment where it all? I had a couple of moments. Yeah. Uh, one was, so I started college um, in, in the fall of 2000. And three weeks into college, the second intifada started. But that was like a moment. Just the intifada was a moment. But then I went to the conference in Berkeley um, that was the launch of the student investment movement. And there was this moment where like we went outside and there were all these counter protesters 
Um, and a lot of them were waving Israeli flags. And I was standing in between people who were like reacting to the Israeli flag in a really intense way and like experiencing it at like they were saying like, like there was like people being angry and there were people being really like sort of devastated to be faced with that symbol. And that was a real moment for me. And my first reaction was to feel like they were being anti-Semitic because there was a Jewish star on the flag. And I was like, why are they so mad to see a Jewish star? And then I like, it like sat with me for a while and I was like, holy fuck, I have to think about all of this. And I, I was like, oh my God, like that flag means something. Like the whole thing means something. Like this is like fundamentally about theft and violence. I have to think about all of this. And I like over that weekend had like this pretty deep emotional shift at that informed an intellectual shift and then i flew back and my friend ben picked me up from the airport and i got in the car and i was like we have to start students for free palestine here on campus Nava, what took the place of zionism like so you had this moment and i'm sure it was a long process to like transform your orientation to the world yeah well i think for me like becoming anti-Zionist, like part of what it meant. There are friends I grew apart from, people I couldn't talk to about it because it would just always be a fight and people who didn't want to hear about it or people I just like, people who were actively involved in the movement that I didn't know how to stay connected to. And a whole institution that I had like identified with, my youth movement that I like had to separate myself from. So I think for me, like, what took the place of it is like a bunch of different questions, you know, like there's like what took the place, like I think my first impulse was to be like, okay, my new identity is I'm part of the Palestine Solidarity Movement where I used to be a Zionist. Like I just wanted to flip it so that I would have something that would still like complete my sense of who I was. And then it didn't work because it's a set of politics, but I had sort of already been burned by letting those be my sense of self. And so that didn't stick. So I think, like politically what took the place is like, I think for me, maybe in the same way that feminism did for you, for me, I think like settler colonial analysis, mm. the stuff you'd already been thinking about, but thinking about the relationship between the US and Israel and settler colonialism and my part in it um, took that place. But socially I had to like rebuild my sense of like who I belong to. Luckily, a bunch of my Jewish friends in college also, like we all kind of went through the process together. And so we used to have seders every year at this really beautiful building on campus because we couldn't go to the Hillel seders because everyone in Hillel hated us. And Rabbi called us not Jews. And um, we'd started a really beautiful tradition and we did it for like 15 years. Um, we were together for seders. So that took the plate. That's one of the I think also like sometimes I think about like I have these moments I had it really strongly when my grandmother died and I had it really strongly when my grandfather died just last year where I feel like a deep sadness that my political work in the world feels to them like such a betrayal yeah. uh, because I feel like actually we like I learned a lot of my values from them and they, they didn't like what I was doing and they would like it less and less as time goes by, but 
I kind of feel like if my family wasn't so Zionist and if the United States didn't use the cover of Jews to support Israel, this would not be my political work. It could be, but it wouldn't feel inevitable in the way that it does. And so I sort of feel like all the more so, like I want my ancestors to be proud because they left me with this work to do. Like that's why it's my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now that that was fun. Yeah, Tali, I loved interviewing you. Listening back to our conversation, I'm thinking about how we really didn't have any models for what rejecting Zionism could look like. Yeah, we've talked about this. Like when we were learning all of this about Zionism in the late 90s slash early aughts, we were pretty alone. Yeah, we were really kind of trying to make something out of nothing. I mean, right now there's like a national student movement for Palestinian rights with chapters and campaigns and ideas about what a better future could look like. When we were in our 20s, there was no U.S. solidarity movement to join, really. And there were definitely no U.S. Jewish anti-Zionist organizations. Yeah, I think that's part of what made this transition so hard for us, right? Like, Zionism was important to both of us because it offered us a sense of who we are and where we belong. And then we needed to invent new ways of thinking about home. And I think for both of us, that's diaspora. We've been talking about it for a few months now. So Tali, tell me, these months later, what does diaspora mean to you? I think it means different things to me in different moments in time. Right now, what I'm thinking about is that when I was in my 20s, I really thought that if I could just get enough information and enough history and enough analysis that I would figure out a way to kind of like get to a better place and a better future for Israelis and Palestinians. And now I still think that in some ways, but part of what diaspora does for me as a concept is it makes me think about feelings and home and trauma, that it's not just going to be about our understanding of history or our understanding of like power and politics. It's about recognizing that people have fear and people need community to feel safe and that we need to build that community in order to get to that future that we want where everybody has the things they need to thrive. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it for me is, you know, my background is Iraqi. The Iraq of my grandparents doesn't exist anymore. It's gone forever. Like I'm never going to be able to understand or visit that place where, you know, my grandfather had a textile factory and like where my grandmother went to market, like that world is gone for various reasons. There's been many wars since that time, but I'm still Iraqi. So like what kind of Iraqiness is available to me? I don't speak Arabic. I was born in the United States, right? So like it's part of my heritage and it's part of who I am, but it's never going to look like my mother's or my grandmother's Iraqi identity. And so part of what diaspora means to me is about there isn't, we can't go back in time. Like we can't go, we're not trying to go back and say like these things never happened. We're trying to imagine a different future. And so like what kind of future can I imagine um, that isn't just based on um, being the most authentic Iraqi person, right? But an Iraqi in the diaspora, a Jewish Iraqi person in the diaspora, a Jewish Iraqi person in the United States, Part of what diaspora allows for is that 
these things change. There isn't some kind of like pure nationalist understanding of any kind of identity, but that identities are permeable and they shift over time and that that's okay. And that there's like a new thing that's going to come out of that change and shift and permeability. I think that's the best I can do for now. (laughs) That's great, Tali. Well, what about you, Nava? What does the aspirin mean to you? I guess I'm thinking about how like your relationship to diaspora is really informed by the idea that you have to think about what your Iraqiness means now and what you want to imagine for that part of your identity and culture and sense of home in the future. And I have noticed that for a lot of Ashkenazi Jews in the United States who reject Zionism, that connection to diaspora does come through a connection to the past there's a real nostalgic factor and that I've always been a little bit allergic to like I think diaspora is about here-ness which is a Yiddish concept I really like doikite I think diaspora really grounds me in a sense that we are here now that where we live is home and that we're making something here that we want to live in which means that we have to make something that is sustainable now and we have to be building it in order to create the conditions for the kind of change we want in the future. Nava, I'm so glad we found each other and this way of understanding home. Yeah, it's been a journey. Thank you for listening to Diaspora. We want to hear what you think. What does the word diaspora mean to you? Do you think of yourself as living in diaspora? Record your answer. You can use the voice memos on your phone and email your recording to podcast at jvp.org. And we might include it in a future episode. Diaspora Podcast is produced by Tali Ben-Daniel. It's written and hosted by me, Nava Echalom, and Tali Ben-Daniel. And it's edited by Jenny Asarno. Our theme music is the song For Our Stories by the Decibelists off their self-titled debut album. If you like this podcast, please spread the word and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Diaspora Podcast or email us at podcast at jvp.org. Thanks. I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my people. I'm coming back.